0: all right we are back let's talk about uh, a little bit more about uh water and fisheries According to National Geographic magazine uh, in, in New York, we're seeing an amazing reversal uh, of the fortunes of the sturgeon. recent study by biologist Mark Bain from Cornell University shows that the, the population of short-nosed sturgeon in New York's Hudson River has risen from 13,000 in the late 70s to roughly 60,000 today. Bain sees the discovery as proof that over time, conservation efforts can help some imperiled species recover. The sturgeon was a charter member of the 1973 U.S. Endangered Species Act. Noted the magazine, this is a net gain, gain for the sturgeon and for the Endangered Species Act, at a time when some politicians have been pushing to weaken it. And uh, closer to home, efforts off Santa Catalina Island are bearing some fruit. We talked uh, we talked a few years back with uh, people who are Uh, trying to go out and clean up our waterways uh, to prevent uh, debris from from harming uh, fish life. Apparently a coalition has gotten together in Catalina to send scuba divers down to dissect away a huge fishing net, a 9,000-pound fishing net, which wrapped itself around the wreck 150 feet down. Evidently, this fine mesh hemp and polypropylene net, which is 40 feet high and hundreds of feet long and designed to last thousands of years, has uh, just been wreaking havoc on, on marine life. Since it sank in 2006, it's been entangling and killing sea lions, dolphins, sharks, and fish, causing the bottom around the ship to be, uh, to be littered with skulls and bones picked clean by crabs divers are speculating with about uh, nine more days of work they'll be able to uh, to clear that net but according to this article we read on scuba diving.com about this uh, well worldwide there are, there are thousands of such derelict killer nets like the one off Catalina they've been just sometimes abandoned and left adrift in one case study of abandoned fishing gear in Puget Sound uh, was studied for 10 years and they estimated 30,000 marine mammals fish and birds were killed in it every year. This kind of thing needs some legal remedies. This kind of reminds us of a disaster of the Exxon Valdez, where which had an anniversary recently, showing all these guys out with, uh, with steam cleaners out on the rocks in uh, Prince uh, William Sound. I talked to a patient that came in the clinic, I think I mentioned this on the show a, a couple months ago, who specialized in oil cleanup, and he pointed out that probably the worst thing you could do is go out there with a steam cleaner. The steam wiped out the microorganisms, which are really your only salvation ultimately in eating up uh, the oil residue. But they did it precisely for public relations benefit. See, we're doing something. And here's an odd story off the high seas. Uh, there's a photograph of the Sacramento Bee on January 10th showing a parachute above the oil tanker Sirius Star that uh, is believed to have delivered a $3 million ransom to the oil tanker's pirates. So, mission accomplished by the pirates. They took hold of an oil tanker, got $3 million and split with the dough. Of course, the pirates originally wanted $25 million, so so they didn't get everything they wanted either. But you just have to ask the question, every nation in the world with a seacoast presumably has a navy. Why cannot the world's navies stop pirates from seizing shipping? I don't get this, particularly when it's noted in, in the article about this event that between, 14, between 12 and 14 international warships patrol the waters off the Somali coast and in the Indian Ocean at all times, seeking to prevent pirate attacks on cargo vessels. Well, they're apparently not doing a very good job because evidently as we speak, there's a dozen vessels in the hands of pirates with about 300 crew members uh, being held. Anyway, clearly some legal reforms are needed uh, as regarding the high seas. Since a lot of this freight being shipped around the world is registered under flags of convenience like Panama and Liberia, when they're really, you know, shipping goods from China to America. And, well, we could do a whole, whole show on that. And as regards legal remedies on dry land, uh, we mentioned National Geographic a moment ago. They had a, a great series of pictures about cell phone towers now being erected across the country that are being camouflaged to look like part of the landscape. In fact, this is an example where the free market is rising up to remedy the problem as, uh, as people are competing to, to put uh, cell phone towers uh, embedded in crosses in front of churches. Painting the panels green and hiding them up in palm trees. Or just sticking the towers on some uh, silos out on the landscape. My personal favorite was a cell tower disguised as a saguaro cactus. So there's hope something can be done about the eyesore of all these uh, cell towers uh, all across the landscape. And speaking of cell phones, we need the market to work in that area. Because uh, we have probably the worst cell phone service in the world here in the U.S., article in Parade magazine a couple weeks back about the fact that uh, cell phones in the U.S. transmit data more slowly than phones do in Europe. They have fewer features than phones do in Asia. And according to a cited technology website, the U.S. is going to be behind for a long time because carriers like AT&T and T-Mobile use GSM, a network that works in a completely different way from CDMA, which is what's used by Sprint and Verizon. And because Europe and many countries in Asia decided years ago to adopt a single cellular network, that being GSM, their infrastructure works with all kinds of phones, and developers can add more bells and whistles. Apparently no one in the U.S. ever said, you guys have to pick the same technology. That allowed a complete lack of coordination among carriers. And now that each carrier has sunk millions into its own infrastructure, change remains unlikely. Let's close with uh, with some medical items, three of them anyway. Put my M.D. degree to use. That's some bad news and some good news. Let's start with the bad. Turns out that virtually all the dominant strains of flu in the U.S. this season are resistant to our leading antiviral drug Tamiflu. So far, knock on wood, this has been a below average flu season, so this is not really a a big issue. But no one's sure why this is. Uh, And and last year, 11% of throat swabs from patients with the most common type of flu were Tamiflu resistant. Apparently this season, 99% are resistant. article in the New York Times quoted Dr. Kent Sepkowitz, Director of Infection Control at Memorial Sloan-Kettering Cancer Center in New York, noting, we've never lost an antimicrobial this fast. It blew me away. This does point out the need for more and better antiviral drugs. On the good news side of things, we have the fact that, uh, according to New Scientist magazine... Seems clear now the benefits of exercise don't stop when the running shoes come off. A new peek inside the muscles of resting athletes shows shows that they burn fuel even when their bodies don't need the energy. Turns out endurance sports like long-distance running are known to increase the number of mitochondria in our cells. The mitochondria are the cells' little powerhouses. But a recent study at Yale University shows that the mitochondria in the muscles of men who run at least four hours a week consume 54% more fuel than, than those of men who don't run. This shows that if you exercise regularly, uh, you know, the benefits of that transcend even the time you're exercising. You're burning more fuel just sitting still. Noted the study that because mitochondrial fuel burning helps to clear out cellular fats, which are thought to contribute to insulin resistance, the findings suggest that here's a way that training can help prevent type 2 diabetes, even when the exercise is over. Of course, the modern American approach to treating type 2 diabetes seems to be to load the patient up with 50 different types of medicines. This suggests that a better solution may be to put on some running shoes and get out there, or at least go for some long walks. And for God's sakes, quit eating the potato chips on the couch, watching TV. All right, and final item from the (laughs) grandma always knew best department. And I'm sure if Ryan Todd follows me today, he's going to get a chuckle at this one since (laughs) the issue of sleep is a sore subject for this correspondent. Well, not so much sleep as the fact that medical science hasn't really understood why we sleep and therefore has downplayed its importance. But your grandma no doubt told you, and I certainly tell patients in the clinic this, that uh, if you feel you're getting a cold, you feel you're getting a virus, go to bed early and sleep in. Well, some researchers decided to test this scientifically, and author Sheldon Cohn, who studies the effect of stress on health at Pittsburgh's Carnegie Mellon University, paid researchers, healthy adults, $800 to have cold viruses sprayed up their noses, then wait five days in a hotel to see if they got sick. And guess what? Habitual eight-hour sleepers were much less likely to get sick than those who slept less than seven hours or slept fitfully. Prior research had suggested that sleep boosts the immune system at the cell level. Anyway, this study, which appeared uh, last week in the Archives of Internal Medicine, noted, duh, that during the cold season, staying out of range of sneezing relatives and co-workers may prove impossible. So what do you do once exposed? Well, go to bed. You feel achy, scratchy throat, sniffly? Go to bed. In this study of 78 men and 75 women who had rhinovirus uh, shoved up their nose, they were able to t- determine that 135 out of the 153 volunteers indeed got infected, but only 54 of them were clinically sick. It's a pretty definitive study. Those who slept uh, seven hours or less were three times more likely to get a cold than those who slept eight hours or more. And those who were tossing and turning and sleepless more than 8% of the, of the night were five times more likely to get sick than those who were sleepless only 2% of the time. Pretty definitive study, although it's what your grandma could have told you a long time ago. And as a special bonus, chicken soup, it works. I'm so tired I haven't slept a wing. I'm so tired My mind is on the blink we are out of time. I want to thank Matt Weiser of the Sacramento Bee for talking about uh, the Delta Woes. And note that we hope on next week's program to bring you Tom Bleese, whose uh, research into energy sources indicates that uh, a solution to both global warming and our energy problems may be simpler than most of us imagine. That's uh, sure to be provocative. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time. such a stupid get